Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are doing things differently. We are choosing, we are committing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while building a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if you are here either as a first-time listener or a seasoned listener, I am so excited to have you here today. I appreciate you so much for taking time out of your day to expand and grow. And every single week, I'm working to interview epic humans that are making a beautiful impact in the world to support you to do exactly the same. And today's guest and leader of impact is Matteo Grassi. And in this episode, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, how Matteo did not intend to be an entrepreneur at all and actually started off as a professional break dancer and joined the circus while juggling with fire. <laughs> Number two, lessons on how to pick the right problems for you to solve as an entrepreneur, banking on Matteo's experience of running a portfolio of seven direct to consumer brands. This is so important. Thinking about how you can solve a problem that's in a alignment with you as a human being. So, so powerful. And number three, Mateo's insights on making it through some tough entrepreneurial moments in 2012. Mateo was completely broke, lost his house, went through a divorce, and then went back to work at a cafe at minimum wage. So we dive deep into that story on how he kind of pulled himself out of that to the incredible success that he has had. So at this point, you may be wondering who the heck is Mateo Grassi? Well, I do not have an official bio from him, but there are a bunch of really cool and interesting things I can tell you about him. First and foremost, his LinkedIn profile says that he is the co-founder of Popup and his mom says he's special. So <laughs> shout out to Mateo's mom. I think Mateo is special as well, but I'm just going to give you a highlight of some of the incredible things that Mateo has been up to. He left his Italian village with a psychology degree and he got his start in his career break dancing and he wanted to act and dance professionally on Broadway and he ended up joining a circus and juggling fire. So we dive into that in the beginning of the episode. But later on in his career, after a bunch of failed startup attempts and working at Shopify as one of the early employees when they were just expanding, I think he was one of the first people that were working out of uh, Dublin or Ireland. And so he actually got his start at Shopify, later ended up starting a portfolio of companies with some ex-Shopify 
colleagues and they had a thousand dollar initial investment and bootstrapped that from zero to 16 million dollars in sales and basically they have an incredible view of impact with all the products that they create each of their brands represents to them much more than a product they represent a solution and a way to improve the lives and well-being of their customers so they have seven portfolio direct consumer brands that are part of the the company that he co-founded called viceroy and then also with the insights and wisdom from himself and his other co-founders they've actually built over 200 stores launched in their careers, testing every single pop possible platform and solution out there. And they ended up wanting to create something that is much better than what they saw as the current solutions. So that is where they created Popup, which is a no-code e-commerce platform that they view as the missing key in today's market for e-commerce. So incredible, incredible journey, lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of uh, things that we talk about in life in this episode that are not just entrepreneurial. So I'm super excited for you to listen to this episode with my new friend, Matteo Grassi. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Mateo, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, my friend. This is going to be an absolute blast. Welcome, Brandon. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this for a while now. Me too. Me too. Well, I also have to start by giving a shout out to our mutual friend, Michael Shine, who's been a guest on the show. And he was the one that introduced us. And he said, you got to check out this guy named Mateo. I opened up your LinkedIn profile and, you know, I'm a sucker for good stories and uh, your LinkedIn profile clearly articulates that you've been on one hell of a journey. And so I've, I've had some fun going through your content and some of your LinkedIn posts and your blogs, and I'm excited to unpack what you've been through, kind of your journey of finding yourself and, and, and kind of growing as an entrepreneur and as a human, as you've been on this experience. So I, I would love to start kind of in the early days, just something that came across in your LinkedIn profile, where you talked about leaving your Italian village and your initial dream was to be a dancer on Broadway. And then you eventually ended up break dancing, joining the circus. So tell us a little bit about like what that was all about and what that stage of your life was. Yeah. So I, I, I got a degree in psychology. So I, I, Finished psychology, uh, actually behavioral psychology, got a master. Um, never been anywhere uh, until I was 21. I actually never took a plane outside of Italy um, because I, I, my family wasn't that uh, well off. I mean, I wasn't like poor, but we weren't, you know, we weren't uh, wealthy to the point that, you know, we would spend the holidays at the grandparents' house, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, classic, uh, classic family. And um, yeah, I got into breakdancing young age when I was uh, 13, 14, um, mainly because I, I was growing up in a rough neighborhood and there was uh, a council estate where, you know, kids would breakdance and it was also a way for us not to get into fights and I think it was it was the movement uh, at the time, and I think it was uh, it was great, right? Because instead of actually, you know, going into trouble, we were you know competing against each other and dancing. Um, I got quite good at it. Um, started at 12, 13 years old, and by the time I was nineteen, I competed 
uh, at, uh, in Germany, representing Italy with my crew. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, against the, the, world, the, the world championship. Uh, battle, it's called Battle of the Year. And, um, and then I, I just, breakdancing, during that time, breakdancing always started to kind of bring me exposure to everywhere else, every other person in the world, right? Um, mm. Italy is a very close off country. I never met people from different countries. Uh, you mainly meet Italians or sometimes German, right? And, and that I got fascinated about traveling and moving away, right? And, and that's what I wanted to do. So my mom said, hey, look, just get a degree, you know, at least do this for me. <laughs> and so I did, I did, I got a degree. And then as soon as I finished, I took my bag. I had 500 euro this time in my bank account and moved to New York, uh, moved to Brooklyn first. First night in Brooklyn was a shootout. So a big welcome into uh, what William, Williamsburg was in 2003, right? So there was wow. a couple of years after uh, September 11. So the atmosphere was still fairly hairy. Um, but then I, I auditioned for Broadway Dance School and I got into Broadway Dance School. And then it's where my dreams got completely shattered because I realized that I was really good in um, at a break dancer in um, Italy and competing as well with other people. But then you start seeing the level of the Koreans and the Japanese and coming in. And then you realize one thing and and this happens in life a lot of the times and it happens to me with music with guitar with a lot of other artistic things that i did in my life you hit a point where you know that you either going to go all in in one mm. thing and be the best or you're just gonna drop and this is exactly what happened to me i was like if i want to be like these guys if i want to be at the top I need to give up everything else. And everything else for me was New York was uh, partying and life, right? I was a 23-year-old and I haven't done much, you know? And the fact I didn't grow up in a wealthy family, so, but I did go to like a very good school. So I always wanted what my other peers wanted and the only way for me to get it was working. So I ended up basically working in the summertime and then studying in the winter, working some time, some time. So at 21, I had so much energy of uh, willingness to like have fun, right? Um, and so I did and uh, decided this is not for me. I, I decided to start traveling um, around the world. Uh, I traveled to Southeast Asia. I ran out of money, I think it's Southeast Asia after a few months that was after New York. Um, what a I was about to run out of money and move to Australia. It was the closest place where I can make some money. Uh, I had a working holiday visa for a year at the time, so because I was under 30. And then moved to Australia, got a job in a bar, working there for a bar. Then my visa ran out. And while my visa was running out, I was thinking of coming back. And before coming back, I was like, I want to travel uh, through Australia. I want to see the desert and things like this. While I was traveling through the desert, I met these uh, performers, these circle performers. There was a group of uh, 25 people, and I followed them for a while. Um, and there was this girl that was playing with uh, these uh, fire, fire, fireballs, basically. They're called Firepoy. <laughs> they come from uh, Maori, right? So she's from like a Kiwi girl. And I think it's because my background in dancing and, you know, the, the, the whole training that I did, I literally 
you know, you spend a lot of time in the desert, you don't do much. Uh, and, and I practice, I started to practice with, uh, with, with Fireboy and she started teaching me. Within three weeks, four weeks, I, I started to get the hang of it. And then the guys were like, you, you're pretty good. So maybe we can, you know, now go with the fire and, and see if you can perform and stuff like this. So, so basically what I did, I included the, the, my moves in breakdancing and the things that I could do acrobatically together with, with the fire. And it, and it became a, a sort of unique style. And, and the guys were like, hey, do you want to travel with us for, uh, for the next six, seven months? And it was good for me because two reasons. My visa ran out, so I couldn't work. Uh, um, so I couldn't get paid. And uh, uh, when you join the circus, you are paid uh, uh, cash. Yeah, yeah it's yep. donations. <laughs> and the cool thing about the donation, not many people know this, donations are tax exempt. Hmm. So I did not know when that. You, yeah, so uh, I give an example. A friend of mine, she plays the harp in um, in Galway, in in Ireland, and uh, at the season, at the top of the season, she makes around eight to nine thousand euro per month working okay. like three days three days a week. But because it's all donation, she the, the, the money is tax free. Really interesting. This is like before we hit record, I found out about Matteo. He's in Lisboa right now, Lisbon. And oh, yes. I was, I was, I was, yeah, yeah I, I was telling him <laughs> when I went to Lisboa, I was, or Lisbon, I was offered so many drugs and I found out why I was offered so many drugs and it's actually a scam. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll, do you want to explain that really quick, Matteo? Because I thought that was interesting because <laughs> we're, we're, we're here. Yeah, I think- I think it's like uh, kudos to entrepreneurship and uh, ideas, right? It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect scam. Obviously, there is demand because it's full of tourists, uh, young tourists. Uh, I think Lisbon also has the kind of idea that uh, is kind of the one of the main ports where you know drugs come in and stuff like that. Also, there's been a decriminalization de- 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 on on drugs, yep. so I think there is a people feel safe to to buy them around. Well, basically what happens is like most of these guys that they stop you, they have uh, either oregano or flour. They usually offer you cocaine or, or wheat, right? <laughs> and what they do is like you, you buy it and then they give you fake drugs. And once you open it up, you realize that it's fake. There's nothing you can do. A cop can't do anything because they don't have any illegal substance over them, right? So there's no intention to distribute an illegal substance. And the customer is not going to complain to the cop and say, hey, I was going to buy cocaine and this guy gave me flour. Right? <laughs> well, there so you go. So anybody that anybody that goes to Lisbon, you have that as a, a fun fact to know. Because I literally, I think my wife and I, we counted how many times we were offered drugs when oh, we man, crossed crazy. one of the main squares. Like, it's like 14, everywhere. 15 times, like all over the place. So that's that's I, that's, place, a, yeah. that's so funny. I love the background. I, I feel like... I. I feel like it's too early to ask this question. I'll plant the seed, but I, I maybe later on we can tie what you learned from being a performer and juggling and breakdancing and, and building an audience and what that has to do with how you tie that into your entrepreneurial insights. I'm sure there's lots of lots of gold there, but maybe I'll tie that back a little bit later. I want to kind of start getting into how the heck you started with your entrepreneurial journey. So I read a, I read a post where you kind of like, you talked about what happened in, in every year and like kind of the main milestones that happened. And the way that I would summarize your story to someone else is it basically it took you 15 years to become an overnight success <laughs> um, is, is kind of like what I saw. And so I, I kind of want to 
I don't know if you can bridge the gap between you juggling with fire, breakdancing to some of your earlier entrepreneurial experiences. I know you had one in 2004 and 2007 that didn't go so well. And then you started a, a cosmetic company. So maybe share a little bit about that transition between being on the streets, breakdancing, getting tax-free donations and, and starting your first entrepreneurial ventures. Yeah, I think I think entrepreneurship to me was a gateway to freedom, right? Because I think uh, like I love the fact that I was free uh, and I could make an income and I could travel the world, right? That was the, the thing that I wanted the most. But at the time, remote work wasn't a thing, right? So you either are uh, working hospitality, which is like bartending and things like that, and you go to live in countries where they speak your language, right? Because you thought, oh, well, I'm going to be a bartender and move to Portugal, for instance, right? Because you don't speak right. the language. Or for, at the time, when I started hearing about, oh, this is uh, people making money online and eBay and the digital nomad things. And I'm talking 2004, 2005. I'm talking early days, right? Pre, uh, early pre days four hour work week, yeah. I think. <laughs> pre four hour work week pre-Facebook, uh, no, Facebook was a thing, but pre-Facebook ads, pre-online, pre-Shopify, pre-making money online. Uh, there was some people doubling into eBay. I think that was the only thing, right? And um, so th that was my idea. My idea, my first idea was like, okay, so I want to create a life where I can live where, everywhere in the world and I don't have to choose where I live and I can move around and I can have my business. So for me, I started to look into online selling. Uh, so the first shop that I did, it was a fully coded shop, it wasn't a Shopify a friend of mine that is a developer did it for me. Uh, the first business was a, a uniform business, like a, like a workwear. Uh, the reason why I went into workwear is because it made sense uh, to buy stock that didn't depreciate over time. Right. Mm. So I had to make an investment and uh, it wasn't like a drop shipping. We basically bought in bulk um, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, those 20,000 investments uh, was not going to depreciate over time. So it's like if it's going to take me three or four years, it's going to be OK. Right? If you go in fashion, it's a little bit different. Right. Mm. So that went OK. I think uh, we started SEO very, very slow. Uh, then we entered into eBay. We did quite well on eBay. And that was really my first venture. Um, and after that, I wanted to find something that I was a little bit more passionate about. Um, and I always felt passionate about, you know, helping people or um, solutions, especially in health and beauty. So the second business was with, uh, with a natural healthcare company. I met this uh, uh, woman that she was, she had an idea of like this cosmetics. And, um, and I was always good in branding and uh, advertising because one of my first experience when I came back from Australia was with a brand strategy uh, agency. So this guy uh, hired me as a consumer behavioral psychologist uh, to consult him on uh, uh, brand identity and corporate and consumer identity for large clients. Mm. This is where I started to bring psychology into copywriting, into branding and into that, right? All my background in psychology came, came, came to use of that. So this is, the, this is the, the bridge between my education and then what I do right now, marketing, because I don't, I'm not a coder, I don't code, I don't know how to build uh, products like uh, coding, I've never done that, but I always done brand strategy, marketing, growth, 
and I think it just comes down because I understand people and I love people and understanding psychology of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so after that, uh, uh, the business didn't go as planned, uh, didn't uh, blow up. It did uh, okay, uh, but it wasn't able to kind of uh, scale scale up. What I was missing is how do I acquire traffic profitably and grow, right? So I learned this from an e-com accelerator, and I met this guy that was a master in Facebook advertising. He was the old school 016 dropshipper, <laughs> right? So scaling ads like crazy, uh, very good time on Facebook where Facebook just opened up the doors of Facebook advertising. So it was like a jungle, right? You could steal a video, put a video up, Shopify sites in two seconds, five rows, uh, selling products from Alice. <laughs> the Price. wild west of the of the paid the ad wild world. west of dropshipping <laughs> times where where a lot of people made a lot of money. Um, but that's that's what I started to learn. That's what I started to learn. How do I acquire uh, cold traffic? So how do I actually take five hundred dollars and turn them into a thousand and a thousand into three thousand and scaling and scaling and scaling? Um, mm-hmm. That business went badly, uh, meaning that it went good, but the I had to leave. And I left with nothing, pretty much. Uh, I left with learnings, yeah. I left a lot of learnings, and I left, uh, but I didn't left with nothing. There was a break uh, in between uh, during my divorce. Uh, I needed to take a break from consultancy, from entrepreneurship, because it, just money it was uh, too unstable. I needed stability, uh, and I needed to work from home as well. Um, and so Shopify, I was hiring in um, Ireland for the first time. Shopify Plus. So I was the first in Shopify Plus in uh, Ireland. Uh, I met my current business partner, Corey, in uh, Ireland. And that was very nice. Uh, we spent a brief time together, literally a couple of weeks. And then uh, we lost sight of each other. I went to do this uh, e-com accelerator. He went to Bali trying to be an influencer. And after a couple of years where my e-com accelerator finished and I wasn't really going anywhere, I send him a text and say, hey, do, do you, how do you feel to do the project together, right? And this project started as a headphone store uh, during Black Friday. I was thinking it was like little before Black Friday in 2020, 2019, 2019. And then, yeah, that was the initial, the stepping stone for Vice Group, which uh, a company that we grew to seven direct consumer brands. We did 60 million in revenue in our first year. Uh, and now I was pivoted into a brand management and agencies for influencers. Hmm. Um, and Vicero Group kickstarted uh, Popup, which is an e-commerce platform that we bootstrapped thanks to Vicero Group money. And then uh, after one year of bootstrapping, uh, we closed the funding round with uh, Axel, uh, Seedcamp, and 20VC uh, of 3.5 million to be able actually to take the platform to the next level. And here we are now in the middle of all of this. That's incredible. There's so much gold that you just dropped in your in, in what you just shared there. I want to dive into some of your insights and your superpowers as you kind of shared it of branding and advertising. And obviously you found alignment with launching Viceroy that allows you to participate in direct-to-consumer brands that allows you to use your superpowers. But I want to, before we get there, I want to dive into one 
kind of area of your entrepreneurial journey? Because I think that lots of people, especially as they're getting started, they go throughout these experiences and they they see all these success stories and how, look how easy it is. And all these people are failing and succeeding, but like you had so many um, false starts <laughs> off the off the ground before you actually found something that actually landed. So I would love for you to share a little bit what was going on in your life in 2012. So um, I know that this was kind of a rough period for you, and I found a post where you talked about um, some of the the lessons that you learned from a darker period there. But just so that people, if maybe if somebody's going through a darker period or an entrepreneurial venture isn't going the way that they want. Um, I just want them to hear a little bit about the story of somebody that is, that is doing incredible right now, but you know, has seen all sides of the entrepreneurial journey from the, the ups and the downs. So we'd love for you to share a little bit about what happened in, in 2012 and some of the lessons that you learned uh, going through kind of a more down period of your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's uh, these two things. It's like, um, I'll, start, I'll reverse it a little bit. Uh, sure. So it's funny when you achieve something, the the feeling that you have when you are like succeeding, like you close the funding round or whatever it is, like in the good periods, right? Not the 2012, right? I'm talking about maybe 2022. Um, you're not going to feel as good as you think you might feel. And the moment... It's so small. It's so, mm. so small. And when you are there, you are thinking about everything that happened in the past, right? And everything that happened in the past is what is going to linger with you for much longer. So I think it's, it's about those 2012, 2025, 2022, 2012, closing a funding round, the top, the top three DC in the world. Uh, building a team, uh, finding financial stability, being able to retire my mom. Um, 20, 2012, uh, I was on uh, social welfare. I was divorced and I was living in a squat house and I had no idea what I was to do with my life, right? This is like the, the, ten, the 10 years difference. Uh, the thing is that what happens in those 10 years is what stays with me and what lingers on, right? So I think it's like, I always say you have to enjoy the journey, you know, enjoy the journey because once you achieve whatever you want to achieve and, and success is different for everyone. It could be a promotion. It could be closing a funding round. It could be going IPO. It could be, it could be like buying a Lamborghini for someone, whoever, whatever success means for you. That moment is going to be very, very short. And uh, everything, all the struggles that you pass, uh, they are going to be, make you feel so proud. Right. Mm. So I think embracing those moments as part of uh, who you are, uh, even though it's even though it's really hard because you do feel like shit, you do feel like you do feel like a failure, right? But for me, in the hardest time, I always knew that it was temporary. Mm. I always knew I, I'm gonna make it. I'm, 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 it's just time. It's just time. But you have to keep on very healthy. I kept very healthy. Uh, I didn't do any weeds, any drugs, any uh, drink, any, I was exercising a lot. I did, that helped me a lot. There's one mm -hmm. thing that helped me a lot. So besides the motivational stuff and all of this, whatever, the thing that helped me a lot, because I noticed that every time I would go for like a drink and I would feel hungover in the morning, everything would go crashing. Hmm. 
and I would be like down for a week, feeling like bad, feeling like I want to kill myself. Like I don't see. And the only thing I didn't think about that is because I had a one-year-old that was depending on me. But mm. I think it's like that's that's the biggest thing. It's like I realized that you're you're in a very fragile state in those in those times. So you have to be at the top of your game all the time. Hmm. I think and, that's really powerful. In in yeah, the sense that I think I think, yeah, I, I think that you know just imagining you <clears throat> being completely broke, having a one year old depending on you, going through a divorce, like I think that it's easy to think, oh, you have to put together some master plan to get yourself out of a situation like that. But I think from from what I'm hearing from what you're sharing, your biggest breakthroughs were actually in committing to the smaller stuff. It was like really kind of reestablishing the core fundamental things that that gave you momentum to then get out of that situation like when you work on your health it's a one of those first principal things that gave you the power to have stronger habits in your life which probably had ramifications with starting other stuff so it's cool because yeah. i think that that's a really easy and insightful thing that anyone can focus on no matter what it's like just focus on the, the core first principal components yeah. that will lead to incredible things moving forward yeah and the future the future never think about the future don't it's, 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 it's a double-edged sword because the moment you think about the future is 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 really dark especially if you're in a dark place the future is going to be very dark so for me i was just literally thinking about tomorrow hmm. how do i go tomorrow like what do i have to do today what i'm going to do what my best of today and how do i get by to arrive to tomorrow and then tomorrow 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 and eventually what happened, you keep your eyes open, you keep alerting, you, you, you are open for change. You are open for possibility. And then the possibility arrives. And this happened, mm -hmm. literally this is what happened. Because I was working in, I was on the call and I was, a, a friend of mine called me and she said, hey, do you want to have... Uh, oh, um, a friend of mine called me and said, uh, one of the waitress quit tonight. It, it was 9, 9 p.m. And it was like, do you want to come down? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm really tired and I don't, I don't want to. And, but I said, whatever, I'll do it anyways, right? Because I need the money, even if it's 30 euro or whatever. So I went to take that shift. And while I was chanting to one of the other waitresses, she was like, hey, you know, a friend of mine just got a job in this company called Shopify. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like they're hiring remotely in Galway. And I was like, really? So what's this? And I was like, yeah, it's like a Canadian company. They're just kind of starting out and they're hiring Galway. They, they give you like a computer. You can work from home. Yeah, it's about e-commerce. And I was like, oh, cool. So I remember the night I came back, applied for the job. One week later, I was in Shopify. Holy uh, shit. That's incredible. That... That is so cool. Like sometimes it's those serendipitous yeah. moments, but it's because you took that action and you just kept moving forward and, yeah, and focusing on one day at a time. Things, yeah, keep your things open and keep it humble. You know, it's like, you know, no, don't, don't. All I was trying to do is to make as much money as I could and arrive in the next day and keeping, keeping my eyes open and then the opportunity arrives. You know, the opportunity that's, that's... will arrive. But if you think about, oh my God, what's going to happen in 10 weeks or in three weeks, in six weeks, then you enter in this loop and you just keep on worrying, 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 and then you get distracted and you don't live in the moment, right? You need to live in the moment to, to catch the opportunities. 
yeah and this is the same thing i wait uh, i i met my wife you know in uh, and i was looking for a partner for a long time after my divorce and and uh, and and i couldn't find one especially because i was living in a small city in galway so there's not much and monday to friday you work friday to monday you are looking after a one-year-old so so mm-hmm. it's like my life was like that but i think it's like i i decided to center and to be more a center in the moment and eventually i met the right person yeah so i love that so much and one of the things that we talk about on the show all the time or the whole theme of the show is how do we prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships while we make our entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And recently I published episode 100 and I kind of went through all of the episodes that I did before that to try to find what are the commonalities of these entrepreneurs that have been able to build successful businesses that are in alignment with them and bring them fulfillment. And one of the things that I'm getting from your story is like, you're 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 being present in these down moments so that you can really learn from the experience and transition that into greater and greater awareness of yourself and then leveraging those opportunities to get more clarity on the actions that you're taking so obviously when you're coming out of a a, a pit of of a, a tough area you know you just needed a gig like shopify but then obviously you kind of leveraged more experiences with shopify and your other businesses to get clarity on what you're doing today and then that was the overnight success of like finally being able to create something that was in alignment with everything that you ever did so i know we just kind of got to the part where you talked about landing your gig with shopify i know that you know kind of if we fast forward we don't have to hit all the beats you know you, you started a few other businesses but you weren't necessarily happy and you had to take another like uh a departure from the entrepreneurial component of your journey where you went to an Indian ashram and you returned to Europe and did four more music albums. <laughs> so I would love for you to kind of share a little bit about how you leveraged your entrepreneurial journey to gain more clarity on yourself and then find greater alignment in your, your business ventures. Yeah, I think, I think it's like, uh, for me, it's always uh, make the business work for you, right? And not the other way around. So I think it's like, Finding, finding what, what's your purpose, right? The purpose of your business is one thing, but what's your purpose in life, right? And for me, it took me a while to, to find it. Um, and I think whatever I do, uh, pop-up or other things that I do on the side, it always serve my purpose in life, right? And the purpose in life is what I call the big why. And the big why is uh, a big goal or a goal that can never be achieved. Why can never be achieved? Because a goal that is achieved is no longer motivating. Mm. So I believe that we need to find something that it will keep us driving no matter what. And uh, the businesses that we have, the journey in our life that brings us to a business and maybe to another, uh, they're all kind of, you know, pinpoints to one direction. Uh, the direction is always uh, the same. You know, and it's a direction that it never ends, right? And uh, that can never be achieved. So what is your big why? Share it with us. And, and how did you kind of come to that understanding? Because that's huge. Like once you have clarity on that, it's a filtering decision for everything that you're doing. So would love to hear that. Yeah, I think impacting the life of a billion people. <laughs> Becoming a billionaire by changing the life of a billion people. Hmm. That's that's my big why. And and. And I like like that because it's it's I have to find different ways to to do that, you know. And it's not uh, a pop up will allow entrepreneurs and allow anyone to sell online and to compete with uh, you know the giants uh, in a no code solution 
it will allow creators to monetize their audience. It will allow uh, entrepreneurs to come up with ideas and bring them to life that will turn into profit that can reinvest into their families or into the society or whatever it is. Um, with Anonym, which is the uh, anonymous community for men founders, it's a support group for men founders for mental health. And then I have Dido, which is uh, a decentralized impact-driven organization where uh, we support networks of volunteers in Ukraine uh, by donations through companies. You know, this is kind of the three things that I'm working on at the moment. Um, and I think that's my that's my goal. And I think it's like every day I think about how can I impact more? How can I create a better product? How can I market the what I do better so they get more awareness and I can get more impact, you know? Mm, that's beautiful. I, lo I love that. And it's so simple and it's so clear. And I know for Viceroy, you have seven portfolio companies. And I kind of looked at the sites for all the, the companies, but I love, I, I found this somewhere on one of your sites. So he says, each of our brands represents more than a product. They represent a solution, a way to improve the lives and well-being of our customers. And as I read that, it reminded me of another guest I've had on the show, Brian Scudamore. He's the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So uh, I, think he, I think he did 600 or $700 million, but like they had a, they had a, it's as an annual revenue, but they had a company that they launched and it was a moving company and mm -hmm. it ended up being a disastrous failure because he, he, he found out afterwards, like the moving company wasn't a, what he called a happy business right for innovation where they could create massive change in the industry. So he had like a really expensive lesson of working on a problem that wasn't in alignment with his brand's ethos. And so that was what I was kind of curious to ask you about is like, what are some of the things that you look for in picking the right problems to solve? Because obviously if you're going to impact a billion lives, you have to be choosing problems that are within your capabilities, but that are also within your alignment of your skill sets and your team and your capabilities. So all that to say, what are some of the things that you look for when you choose a problem to solve and build a business around that? Yeah, I think I use the approach of Warren Buffett. It's like investing what you know, you know? So it's like, I will never get into uh, environments or global warming and things like that, because it's something that I, uh, I, I've, uh, I don't have a lot of knowledge around, right? But what I'm very good at is, uh, uh, you know, humanitarian aid, mental health, all these kind of things. That's that's where I can actually shine, you know? And I think you can't do everything. You, it's really, really hard to just uh, creating an impact in uh, so many different layers where, where it's needed. So I think if you have a set of skills that, uh, that it, it's a better fit, find the project and find the problem where you know more about, right? Mm. And usually for me, it's problem. I was just trying to solve my own problems. If you think about it, I started Papa because I had seven direct-to-consumer brands and I could not compete with the other guys and everything was complicated. So we built it for our own. And then we realized, okay, maybe this is a, something that everyone can use. When I started Anonym, it was just like me and the three guys that were having a weekly WhatsApp chat. <laughs> and then we were like, maybe other people want to join. So maybe we create a Discord group and, uh, you know, we meet every week and that's it. And maybe it can be something bigger, right? Uh, with Dido, uh, they, we just literally was my wife's brother um, in, uh, was uh, in Kharkiv, was in the east of Ukraine. And... Uh, 
and there was no humanitarian aid going into the districts. And so the, you organized a network of like 70 volunteers that were buying medicine and distributing inside. And they ran out of money very quickly. So what we did, we started kind of raising money and financing them. And then in exchange, they were giving these pictures back and telling the stories of what they were doing. And so mm -hmm. we were passing this story to the donors and the donors were starting to use it in their social media and then they were donating more money. And I was like, okay, so maybe we have something here. Maybe we can create something where, you know, businesses go on a subscription and then in exchange, they get uh, photos and content from uh, that they volunteers that they support, like a win-win situation. Mm. It's always like you find yourself in situation. And I think this is why it's so important of thinking about the future, but don't get too distracted. Practice mindfulness, live in the moment. Opportunities come to you and then just take them and test them out without without feeling scared if it feels right just uh, just do it a lot of the things that happened in my life were literally a leap of faith right mm. and could have gone good it could have gone bad but you'll never know until you try yeah i think a big thing of that i've started to notice it's like it has a lot you said present and mindfulness but it, like uh, a corollary to that is listening like your ability to listen and identify like like somebody might have been in that same situation as you and not seen that value exchange of like building a platform where stories can be shared with the the, the donors. And so it was like you you had a very keen ear to, to, to double down on that. And I think that that has to do with being present and not obviously you need to have some for, some for, some form of focus in the future, but being able to be present and listen to what the problems are and what the true problem is at hand versus kind of what most people would think would be like a a greater version of kind of where for, for an entrepreneurial perspective like if you think you, you need to be solving this massive problem but sometimes the best problems to solve are found in those small moments yeah that's true that's true and i think being open to change being open to evolve and and even now i'll be 40 in a month you know so <laughs> And I discovered myself again in, in my 30s, you know? My 30s have been a huge discovery for me for uh, changing my value set to moving away from uh, uh, my marriage, of course, and then finding my wife, but, uh, raising my child, uh, but also changing my perspective with my relationship with money, you know? I was really money-driven, you know? When I, when I started doing e-commerce, I just want to make money. Literally, that you get the rush when you see like uh, that Shopify dashboard, just like you know, we did the million in a day. Imagine that doing one million in one day from uh, from ten thousand dollars a day in like three weeks. We hit four, and we did like four point five million in three weeks. That was crazy, man. We lost it. We lost it all, by the way, because obviously. <laughs> but it was cool when it was growing up. <laughs> school is growing well up, right? Um, and yeah, it's like something that I actually never told in public. It's like since '36, uh, I've been uh, in uh, with with my wife. We've been in like in an ethically non-monogamous relationship. So we've been exploring, you know, like the um, something that I never uh, thought it was possible, you know. Hmm. And it's interesting for me going. Exploring this, understanding uh, the time bisexual, you know, I discovered this at 36. Hmm. Um, and yeah, this is kind of, yeah, never said this to anyone in public. So, but well, uh, thank, you for, thank you for sharing. I think it just yeah. shows that, like, how willing you are to be 
flexible in your identity. Like you, like it seems like just what I'm getting from you is that you're very okay with adjusting as more information comes to you and being comfortable with making small experiments because this Mike, Mike, it's funny because it was Halloween yesterday, but a few weeks ago we carved pumpkins. Um, and one of my quotes that I've been so obsessed with as of late is uh, by Michelangelo. And it's, it's, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And there's this other whole story about the temple of the golden Buddha. Maybe I could tell an abbreviated version of it, but like, basically there was this uh, temple where there was a, a golden Buddha every day. They, they, these monks would pray in front of this golden Buddha. And one day they found out that there was going to be a neighboring village that was going to come and pillage everything. And so what they did is they covered up the golden Buddha with all of this stone and all this cement and stuff like this. So that when they would come and raid the village, they wouldn't take the golden Buddha. And sure enough, they come in, they take everything, but they don't see the golden Buddha there uh, because they think it's just stone. And then years go by. And one day a monk is meditating in front of it and a wind piece of or wind blows by and a piece of stone falls off. And they realize that the, the golden, the Buddha was golden. And then they, you know, uncover it and they, they, this people find that the, the, the Buddha was there all along and kind of the, the metaphor, the analogy or the takeaway is that every single one of us is born golden. We have like this version of us that's so beautiful and that we need to go, as soon as we go throughout life, we have the first few years where we have all this stone and all this casing that's built on top of us. And it takes, it takes something crazy to happen. Like what you went through or like with the, in 2012, when you lost everything or, or living uh, kind of paycheck to paycheck, just trying to figure out how things need to be for the next day. It takes an experience like that to blow a chunk of stone off and you see really who you are. And then the rest of your life is trying to figure out more and more of how you can become more naturally yourself. And so that's just kind of what I'm seeing inside of your story here is that you're so open and flexible to uncovering new layers of yourself and then integrating that because the more that you can be true to who you are at the core is uh, the greatest expression of how you're going to be able to make that impact that you want to create. I guess the headline of uh, pop-up is, uh, if you look at the site, it's that uh, the commerce platform is flexible as you are. So, <laughs> so I guess I do represent the company. <laughs> yeah, you know? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's no, it's like, uh, it's been, it's been interesting. Uh, it's been an interesting journey. I get, I get, every time I speak about like the ENM relationship and stuff, I get a ton of questions about, you know, everything right and uh, it's it's uh, it's really, really fascinating trying to kind of explain to people and and understanding how many people have been thinking about it and the whole belief system that we have uh, behind um and uh, yeah yeah it's been it's been cool I, i'm gonna think be talk a little bit more in the future about about this and kind of becoming passionate uh, about it well that's cool i know i know you have you have uh i was reading some of your blog and you started you started posting as of more recently about some of your kind of more philosophical components so i'm sure maybe this will be a topic of of some stuff that you because i read your post on the paradoxes of modern life so i thought oh, that, yes. that was really yeah, 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 i thought, yeah, that, yeah. I thought yeah. that was really interesting so yeah. um so I'll I'll kind of give a fork in the road. We can either go down that road of kind of like some of the 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 paradoxes of of modern life, but another thing I thought could be another interesting topic would be kind of diving deeper into kind of what you shared earlier about how you you have your background in psychology and creating messaging that is clear and compelling and and you have done this for your brands and for the brands that you move forward. So, uh I'll let you kind of choose choose your own adventure. Did you want to talk a little bit about some of your insights about how we can craft clear and compelling messages or do you want to kind of talk about some of the paradoxes? I can talk about how psychology has helped me 
through the years, you know, yeah. even without even without knowing. I don't think the things that I studied because I studied um, psychodynamic approach. So I did study like the Freudian, Jungian uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy, which is the therapy that focuses a lot on trauma. Uh, so you have these long sessions and things like this, and then the healing is done to like catharsis, which meaning that you're relieving your trauma and then somehow you are cured, right? So that didn't work for me. I actually didn't believe in that. Um, and this is the main reason why I didn't practice uh, therapy or uh, I didn't want to become a therapist. But then I, back, I went back into therapy when I was in my 30s during uh, the divorce. Um, and I was lucky enough to get exposed to CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And I really liked that approach because uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, it's a more practical approach. Uh, to, to psychology they don't really focus too much on the trauma the trauma is something that we cannot change uh, but they focus more on what we can change uh, today so how we can reprogram our brain so our automatic thoughts are not going to influence our emotions and our emotions are not going to cause actions that are not in line with our emotions right uh, because a lot of people say control your emotions, managing your emotions. And I always get pissed off about this because managing emotion doesn't exist. Controlling your emotion doesn't exist. You can either repress them, validate them, or express them, right? Mm. But, but managing emotion, it's meaning you're suppressing your emotions, right? There's no, there's no it doesn't make much, much sense to me, right? And I do see that a lot in business as well of... Uh, um, leaders that think that uh, managing and controlling emotions is uh, is the right way to, to do it or uh, not showing too much is the right way to do it. But in reality, it's, uh, I, I believe it's wrong. I think is the emotions needs to be validated and we need to learn how to express them in, uh, in the positive way. I give an example. So if you feel angry with someone, it doesn't mean that you have to tell them to fuck off or punch them in the face, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it also doesn't mean that you have to stay silent and uh, not say anything. You know, you can internalize the emotion, understanding what you're feeling, and then expressing, say, hey, you know, I didn't like what you did for me, and I wish you're not going to do it again. There is an association with like negative emotion and positive emotion, but the reality is doesn't exist there's no positive emotion and negative emotions by the way anger is we'll share about that explain explain uh, that really quick keep going with your example but explain oh yeah yeah of... so if you think about like sadness uh, anger happiness uh, guilt and shame right these are five one of them is a negative shame is negative shame is the only negative emotions why because shame is something that you go against yourself and it doesn't uh push an action to uh, change something, right? That's what guilt does. You know, when you feel guilty, you feel compelled to do something about it, right? Anger is often seen as a negative emotion, but in reality, anger is nonetheless the protection and putting barriers against you from uh, things that might bother you, from people that you don't want in your life, mm -hmm. toxic people that can be your family members, even can be your best friends. It doesn't matter if they are causing you harm you know, you should, uh, you should, uh, you should do it. Sadness as well. Sadness is a way for us to express uh, things that are not, uh, uh, that are causing pain inside. 
So it's, it is a form of catharsis, it's a form of letting things out. And usually when people express the sadness, they feel better. The issue with a lot of people is that people have problems with certain emotions because they classify them or they are naturally suppress them, right? So what happens is that we are not programmed to do this. So what happens, we substitute one emotions with the secondary emotion. So I give you an example, my personal example, so that's, uh, that's, that's great. So I always had an issue with anger, right? Conflicts. I would walk away from a conflict or I would not express uh, anger towards the people that either uh, screw me over or, you know, they, you know, in business, in life, you know, you happens mm -hmm. that you have a conflict and you have to resolve the conflict. So instead of expressing anger, I would suppress the anger and then I would substitute my anger with guilt. So every time I was feeling angry, I was feeling guilt, guilty. So every time I was saying, hey, I really don't like the way you, uh, you know, you did this, or I wish you to stop to do this. The moment I did that, the next emotion was, oh, I'm so sorry about this. I'm so sorry that I had to express this anger, right? Which is basically destroys the whole point mm -hmm. of trying to, you know, establish a boundary in between, between the two people. So CBT is great because CBT helps you to, um, to, to do this. You keep a journal and then you start to notice difference, right? You start to see, I'm behaving in a certain way, right? I was sitting in a couch doing this and this is the emotions that I felt. Is that, is, does it make sense? There is a validation between here or there is something that is not right? So then you start to noticing these uh, dissonances. You start to notice these uh, uh, things that are not related. And then you start to work in why, why they're not. Hmm. The way and, I, yeah. the way that I'm kind of um, reframing that in my brain as a takeaway that I can move forward with is essentially that all emotions are indications or a hint from your heart to your mind to your body to make some form of change. And that it's not, like you said, it's not negative or positive. It's just an indication that, that, that something, there's an adjustment to either do more of it or do less of something. So I think that's, that's really insightful. And I, I love, I love how you are able to, or at least through this training, it seems like you've been able to look at yourself from an external perspective and kind of observe the, you have like an observer version of you where it's like, you can kind of see yourself doing this thing and then you can journal on it and reflect on it and leverage that as an opportunity to kind of create it, um, create a better outcome. Cause I think that there's, there's always kind of like two versions of us. There's like the, the version of us, the player that's like actually doing the thing. And then there's the version of us that's the architect that designs the life or the game for the player. And it, it sounds like that's what you're kind of doing here is you train yourself yeah. to be able to observe yourself and how you're behaving in particular situations. Um, but it takes a specific perspective in order to kind of be, uh, to, to view yourself as something slightly different <laughs> than, than the tied yeah. up all, in all one. So back on what, like uh, we derailed that like a little bit, but I think your question was how uh, consumer behavior and psychology helps then in marketing and growing it other and things like this, right? So first of all, B2C, B2B, people say, oh, B2C, you need to have a better psychology, you know, understanding of people. It's the same thing, right? B2C, we're selling to people. B2B, we're selling to people that sell products. <laughs> so we're still right. selling to people, right? We're selling to humans. So I would hope, I, I believe in ethical marketing. I believe that there is uh, some things that we can use 
to uh, influence people, uh, but we could, as marketers, we can do it in a way that is going to make people feel good uh, without uh, having to leverage emotions that are going to cause distress, such as scarcity, fear, you know, that type of thing. So I can use marketing tactics that will play on fear. I will use marketing tactics that will play on loneliness, on uh, uh, scarcity and all this. I know that they will work. They will give me the money. They will give me the click. But the question is, if I'm trying to build a community and if I'm trying to build a loyal customer, right, would that is the first relationship that I want to establish on an emotional level with them, Do you know? This is like, this is to me, sometimes people don't understand this. It's like you are getting the customers, but you are getting them already with an emotional trick and emotional manipulation that is already causing distress, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. So it's like you win, but what you're trying to do. And I think brands that do very well, and I'm thinking about something like Apple, friend, for instance, right? Um, Adidas, Nike, and things like that. They don't necessarily rely with this. They always have like empowerment, uh, part of the community, uh, being together, and all of this, instead of like FOMO scarcity and all, and all that and because i think a long term they do damage they do damage the brand you are going to acquire 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 but you're not going to be able to build uh, a brand around you yeah i love that and i think that's something that's super super valuable for everyone listening is to think about how you started by saying like you you kind of start by identifying the emotions that you want people to feel I think that mm -hmm. that's kind of like classic direct response is like people don't buy products or services. They do, they buy, or I mean, they do buy products and services, but they do it in order to feel the way that they want to feel. And so being intentional about the emotions that you want to create from the very beginning and choosing them intentionally to build a long-term relationship versus a, a transformational relationship versus a transactional relationship. Like you said, like you can, you can make someone feel bad about something in order to buy something, but will that lead to long time customer value or will it make them feel like shit? <laughs> so I think that's super important for yeah. anyone to think about. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, I, Mateo, our time is absolutely flown here. I want to be respectful of your time. So there's a, there's a question I love to ask at the end to almost all of our guests, if I have time and then we can kind of wrap things up. But the question I love to ask everyone is what does happiness mean to you today, Mateo? Like what is your definition of happiness based on the October or November, today's November 1st, uh, 2022, as we're recording this, what does happiness mean to you today? Meaningful relationship and meaningful work. It's really easy. Hmm. I think I, it's, it's, uh, I, I said it very fast, but just because it's, uh, it's something that uh, I've been asking myself for the last, uh, since, since February 24th, since the war started. Since the war started in Ukraine, everything changed for me. Mm -hmm. a lot a lot a lot of things changed and i think i realized that what do i want uh, and meaningful relationship and meaningful work that's 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 i think what what happiness means for me so whatever that. i do whatever i do is it's in the relationship as well there needs to be a meaning for it there needs to be something more than you know we are just we're just here to do the business or we're just here to do something i think this this we need to be more connected 
Um, and we need to try, I think, as humans to be more connected because we are growing disconnected more and more. We have a lot of relationship, but meaningful ones are getting very, very low. And I was reading actually an article that we used to have like five to 10 friends now, and now it's about two or three. Like, like we're shrinking the amount of meaningful friendship, mm. although we're increasing the amount of acquaintances, right? Mm. So and simple that, yeah. and profound. I love that. Meaningful relationships and meaningful work. Can't get yeah. can't any more clear than that. I love that so much. So, so good an example. So Matteo, where can people find out more about all the incredible stuff that you're up to? I know you have Viceroy, if anybody wants to go check out the seven yeah. direct brands or tell, tell us a little bit about what you, where you want them to go. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, so you can find me on my Linktree page uh, and his Linktree, Matteo was taken. So my name was taken. Um, oh, it, and... that's actually the thing. Matteo was taken. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was... <laughs> it's the same in uh, LinkedIn as well. It, it, Twitter. They're the same. They're all the same. I feel was taken. Um, <laughs> Love it. And uh, my link what do they page, get there? Yes. Link three page has my music, has uh, pop up, uh, you know, as uh, Viceroy, you know, all, all the links, all the things that I do, uh, I, I'll add them in there. Okay. Love that. We'll add that in the show notes, but you can go right now if you want to go check it out. Linktree slash Mateo was taken if you want to find out all the incredible stuff that Mateo is up to. Uh, so I love it. Well, I just want to have a really quick conversation with you listening right now. I just want to say you could be listening to any other podcast out there. You could be doing anything else, but you chose to click on this episode and you've been hanging out with myself and Mateo. And I'm so grateful for that. And I have one request to ask of you is like, if you've been listening today and something has changed the way that you thought about something or you were inspired by Mateo's story of being at the bottom in 2020, 2012 and really kind of just working one day at a time um, or some of the, the insights that he had on psychology and emotions. All these things are absolutely things that can make a massive impact if you choose to share it with someone. And so that would make my day. It would make Mateo's day. Uh, but th whether you choose to do that or not, I appreciate you for being here so much. And Mateo, any final things you want to say before we finish up today? No, I think uh, like honestly, it was uh, such a was such a nice podcast, you know, to be in. You know, it was really really nice. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, beautiful sunny day in uh, Lisbon. I'm going to now to Web Summit. No, it was it was really nice. I appreciate it. Was it. Nice awesome. to meet you as well. <laughs> nice meeting you too, Mateo. And uh, we'll continue the conversation. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you so much. Cheers. Thanks, Brandon.